comes from Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through to 32. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of the one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, that they have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be a benefit to those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Morning, everybody. Um, we're going to continue in Ephesians this morning, which has um, been. What's the matter? Oh, my fly, I'm flying low. Thanks, Mum. Gee. Crikey. That's why I had this set low, so you wouldn't see. <laughs> Not true. Okay. <laughs> um, how do I recover from there? I, I bumped into my sister-in-law through the week, um, and I had one of those AirPods in that connects to your phone, so like a wireless earpiece. And I was actually, she, she thought I was on a phone call, so she says day really enthusiastically, and then she said, um, I, I was kind of like, oh. And I was like trying to fumble with it to turn it off, because I was listening to something, but she thought I was on a phone call through it, but I was actually listening to myself. I was listening to like one of these sermons in Ephesians that I'd given like four weeks ago, so it seemed really vain, but it just reminded me, the reason I was doing that is because uh, the guys at the back, they do make the effort every week to um, record the sermons, so we haven't announced that for a long time. It just kind of goes without... Um, being announced, but it keeps happening, and so it's always up there, and I, I don't know about you, but uh, going into the book of Ephesians has been a really enriching time for us, um, really encouraging, great on 
helping us to remain united as a church uh, without a pastor. Because you don't need a pastor to be united. We're united in Christ, aren't we? So um, it's been a real encouragement for that. But just to go back into the richness of the gospel. Yesterday, my rugby team played in a grand final. We won the grand final. We actually flogged a team in the grand final. No, no, to be honest, I was more excited about getting up and looking at this passage in this, this morning with you. And yesterday, I kind of like didn't really even want to um, celebrate too much because I wanted to have my head back in here because the, the, the richness of God's word to us is just like that. So let's pray uh, that God would, would speak to us through this passage this morning. Uh, Father, we do thank you for the, for the joy of knowing you and the richness of your word to us. Uh, Father, we ask that you'd grow us through it this morning. Uh, Lord, Lord, we hear rebuke. Lord, we pray that we might also know the power and the comfort of your spirit to change. Lord, we pray that we might know your grace and depend on it. So, Lord, by your grace this morning, uh, speak to us the way that you've promised to. Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one of my favourite Far Side comics is this one. Can everyone read that? I'll read it for you. The banner is the annual convention of procrastinators. And then they're having a conversation. Where is everybody? Sorry, I never got around to sending out the invitation. While well, I was looking for it, I found this one as well. Procrastinators Anonymous. Night's meeting postponed, due to be scheduled, rescheduled, eventually. And I, I like this one too. Have you seen pictures like this before? I'll find a picture for it later. Yeah. Um, Dylan had a good giggle at that as a uni student, didn't he, mate? Uh, I don't know whether you can relate to procrastinating. Um, I used to try to convince myself that procrastination was just a way to make sure that I really learned it because I'd put myself under such pressure that I'd have to really concentrate and have to really focus. Um, didn't work, but um, that, was my, that was the lie that I believed. But the reason that I wanted to think about procrastination is because we're in another one of the letters of the New Testament in a section where Paul is going to address how we behave how we live as Christians. And to speak about uh, the, the death of Jesus and the salvation that comes from that, to speak about the resurrection and to the hope that that brings, are always comforting things to hear. But then to speak about putting those truths into action and letting that actually transform your life, because of the freedom of knowing God's grace, it can be very easy to just kind of like be a procrastinator. I'll get around to really taking that seriously when I've got a little bit more time. Sometimes I've experienced it that there's kind of like, you're just not quite willing to, to go all the way in changing. Or you kind of like, you get what the Bible says and you kind of agree with it, but it's kind of a bit inconvenient in this part of your life, whatever part it is in, to really take that seriously kind of can have a tendency to treat, a bit, treat it like something that you'll get around to. Now, like I've just said, we understand and we, and we hear and we, we receive the message of God's grace, the gospel. 
And, and that's kind of what the first three chapters of um, Ephesians have done for us. They've, they've brought it into, into the glorious light that it is and helped us to really understand it. But this part kind of like is a bit like hitting a speed bump. And I was watching Sonny at a park yesterday on his little scooter and it was like one of those parks where they have imitation traffic lights and traffic signs. It's built for kids. But it had speed bumps. And he was going down the hill on this thing and he didn't slow down for it at all. See, and he just hit it and luckily he didn't stack it, although I was kind of hoping that he would so that he would learn. But it would have been pretty funny as well. There was plenty of grass to land on, don't worry. Um, but but the, this is kind of like a speed bump, isn't it? For all that Paul has said, he, this passage starts with this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And that's got to make you stop. That's got to make you slow down okay, and take notice of what he's going to say. Like really, those first few chapters, if you read them, they don't have full stops in them, okay? They just flow from one idea to the other because when he's, he's looking into the, just the perfect gospel of Jesus, it flows into praise and prayer and prayer and praise and, and then this should slow us down. This should slow us down and cause us to actually go, hang on, what's he saying here? Okay, so in fact, this comes at the right point too, doesn't it? This comes as we know all those blessings, as we know all that truth of what God's done to us. It's kind of like he marinades us in that. You know, like when you take some chicken or some beef or something and you stick it in that marinade until it infuses all of it. That's kind of what the first part of Ephesians is meant to do to us, to really get us engrossed by the gospel, to help us, to help us actually reorbit around Jesus instead of ourselves in our life. And then the truth of what he said already, the power of the resurrection, the love of God that is too high and too wide and too deep to fully comprehend, the depths of God's grace that he would bring dead people back to life in him. See, the thing is, you can't know all that and not be changed by it. And so he writes, I insist on this in the Lord. You must no longer live. John kind of explained it like this. Those first parts of the verse, of the the book of Ephesians, are like the car that pulls along the trailer. Does that look anything like what your trailer looked like? It was more organised and neat than that, wasn't it? Yeah, I've I've met your dad. Okay. But, um, but this is the thing. We've got it. We can only really come to this. We can only really slow down and think about our own behaviour and life when we are saturated or marinated or or engrossed in the gospel. When we when we have that comprehension of God's love for us going on in our life. And so we've got to remind ourselves that we can't try to pull God along into loving us any more than a trailer can pull a car along. Okay, we, need, we need God's love to bring about any transformation in our life. But the thing is, we can't 
know that love and be unaffected by Jesus' uh, unaffected by what God's done for us. At the start of chapter 4, in the section that we're in, is where it all turns around. And he says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And that's kind of the context for what we're doing. Last week, John was really helpful in, in kind of helping us to understand. And go back and listen to the podcast. That's why we put them up there. Even if you'd listened and took a lot of attention, still do it. Marinate yourself in it. Trying to understand in that part of, of God's word how it unites us as a family. This week, we're going to be thinking about how when we take Jesus seriously, we will identify a new us that's being created, an old self, an old way of living, an old trajectory in life to a new way of life that's being transformed by Jesus. And in fact, next week, when I get up again, I'm actually going to go through chapter 4 all over again. Um, and it's because there's actually a lot more to say than I can say in this. In fact, when I was listening back to the talk that I gave on Ephesians 2, I was like, oh, is that the end? And then I realized that I preached a second sermon, so sorry about that. And I've tried to keep this one a bit shorter today as well, um, which is, but, but we're going to come back next week because today we're kind of going to look at this through the lens of what does this mean for me individually? But there's so much in here that speaks to what it means for us collectively that that's going to be the topic of next week. So make sure that you're here. Verses 1 to 16 of chapter 4 can kind of be seen as don't live this way. Oh, sorry, live this way. But where we start today in chapter 17 talks about how we then should live. Now to start this section off, we've got to remember that Jesus is not only a saviour, but he is also Lord. Okay, God sent him to be the Christ. And there's two aspects of that. Christ means king. And as a king, the king would, would do the rescuing. They would rescue their nation. Okay, For us, in Christ, his rescue comes through the cross. But the other aspect of the word Christ is that he rules. He rules over his people. And that's where we get this expression, Jesus is Lord from. And so as our Lord, we need to submit to him. And that's what these passages starting with. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. It's because Jesus is Lord that Paul is confident to speak so boldly, to speak so directly, to make you slow down, sit up and listen. And what is he insisting? You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. For Paul, he's actually appropriated the word Gentile here. For a long time throughout the Gospels, when you read about Gentiles, that's just everyone that's not a Jew. But here, he's actually pushed it further and he said, pretty much anyone that is not in Christ, that's who he means when he calls, talks about the Gentiles here. What does he say about them? You must no longer be like them in the futility of their thinking. Futile thinking. Thinking that goes nowhere. Thinking that then extends to a behaviour to living a life that is just not going to go anywhere. Like, a, like a, as, as foolish as a mouse on one of those wheels, just 
spinning along, busy, active, and getting nowhere. And this is the way of life that comes from a hardened heart. We read on. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. This kind of heart that is hard to God. And this actually takes us back into chapter 2 where he talks about you were once dead in your transgressions and sin. This is where God has saved us from. And this passage actually kind of opens that up a bit and just kind of is quite direct in, in reminding us that what God has saved us from is hardened hearts. It is darkened thinking. It is futile. And not only that, it spills over into a life that is marked by behaviour that is uh, described as indulging in sensuality and in greed. See, this is what the fruit of that kind of thinking is. Just simply living for whatever is going to fulfil those kind of like bodily, carnal urges. Those desires, those kind of like, it almost paints a picture of people that just kind of grunt around and, oh, give me this, give me that, you know, man, club, girl, on head, come to my cave kind of. I mean, it's not exactly seen that way, but this is the kind of the darkness of our hearts. In fact, in our world, it's actually, we've, got to, we've got to pay more attention to this because it's way more sophisticated than that, isn't it? It's not just this kind of primal um, do whatever I feel like, whatever my stomach or my eyes or my loins kind of desire, it's actually far more sophisticated. The people that are on pedestals in our world are marked by greediness, are marked by the freedom to indulge in this, indulge in these kind of sensualities. And so we've got to have an awareness to this. What Paul says is, I insist that you must no longer live in this way. And so, we've actually got to identify this stuff in ourselves. We've got to identify the darkened parts of our thinking. We've got to identify the hardened parts of our heart. The parts where, you, you will know it because you'll come to God's word and you'll kind of like, Oh, I feel really uncomfortable or really put out by what God's word says to you. So listen to the instruction one more time. I insist on this in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Hear that from God's word. And Paul kept writing. So we know how to how he wants us to do it. Let's read on. When we get to verses 20 to 24, he actually gives us this really helpful way of understanding how this flows out in our life. The first part of what he says is this is what you learned when you heard about Christ, when you were taught in him. Through knowing Jesus, we're brought out of this. Through knowing Jesus, we actually see the pattern of life of Jesus. 
We see a new human. We see actually the true human, the true Adam, the one that we were meant to be. We were taught about him. In the gospel, we are taught about the one who is without sin. And so, that's what he reminds us of. You heard about Christ. You were taught in him with accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Now, like I've already said, he calls Jesus Christ again, and that means that Jesus is the one that rules. And so, we come to him with that attitude. We come to him knowing that he saved us and knowing if that's what he does for us to save us, then what is he going to do for us in ruling for us? Will it not be equally as good? Will it not be equally as life-bringing as the gospel itself is? Just think about that for a moment. Kind of like one of the pictures sometimes that we get of the gospel is like where a person drowning out in the ocean, helpless to get ourselves out of the reef or whatever is, is pulling us in. And if we really want to go with that analogy, we, we see that what we drown in is our sin, is the futile thinking, is all of these things that are described in those first verses. And, and when you get that picture of being pulled out of there, okay, the picture then in verses 17 to 19 of, of someone that's, that's just futile in their thinking and not really living the way that you should because that's happened, is like someone that just gets pulled to the shore and then just wants to dive straight back into the water and find themselves in that rip again. No, we were taught about a new way. In Christ, we're taught a new way. And it's about leaving behind that life that we've been saved from. Listen to verse 22. You are taught with regard to your former way of life to put off that old self. That old self is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So the desires of that life are, are lies. They're intended to deceive you. you. Your own sinful heart will deceive you. And we're instructed to put that life off. See, when we, when we understand that we need Jesus to be our saviour, we start to get a glimpse of what he's saved us from. But as he goes on sanctifying us, as we go on in our Christian life, we actually see more and more of of the depth of that sin, the depth of that futility of thinking, or the depth of that deceptiveness. And so as we go on in that, we've actually got to realise more and more just what we've been saved from. Keep putting off that old life. I kind of thought about this, and to, to not do this is kind of like going to the fridge and having a look up and down, what is there? Oh, what's that at the back there? Oh, hang on, that's that Indian I got about, uh, how long ago was that? Oh, was, was it really two weeks? Uh, is that, 
is that something furry or is that just the yogurt that they put on? Do you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't really, would you? But sometimes people do, don't they? Not, not me personally. You know what? The old way of thinking would just go and eat it. Yeah. The old way of thinking just recognises that that is food, whatever, I'll just eat it, see what happens later, okay? But when we're in Christ, we actually can see things truly for what they are, by, by the Word, by the Spirit, by what we've been saved from. We can actually see that that is, you know, that is rotten, that is deceitful. I don't need that in my life. And so, with Paul here, when we know the pattern of Jesus, we can actually see more and more the difference. And so we can see what we need to put off. In fact, this is actually not a replaced way of thinking, but a transformed way of thinking. Listen to this. Verse 23, he says, This is being made new in the attitude of your mind. This is the process. This is what we are experiencing if we're in Christ. And not only that, we're not just taking off this old life, we're putting on a new life. Listen to what 24 says. Put on the new self, one that's created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, when you think about this, this is the kind of thing, this is exactly why Paul, in chapter 1, verse 18, was praying for the Ephesians that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened in order that they know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his inglorious inheritance in his holy people. This is what he was talking about in chapter 319, where he was praying that they would know the love that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the renewing that we need. This is the renewing in our thinking that will lead to the transformed behavior. This is the power to actually no longer live as the Gentiles do. And it is a picture, isn't it, of putting on a, a, a new outfit. See, when I finished playing rugby yesterday, I got that kit off as soon as I could because it was dirty, it was sweaty, there was someone else's blood on it. I, I'm not going to go into the change room, have a shower, and then put that back on to go and, and spend time with my mates, am I? I'm going to... Go with, go with the new thing, because that's, that's the old thing. When we receive Christ into our lives, that old thing that he's dealt with should never come back onto us. But it's kind of a bit more dynamic than that, isn't it? Okay, we, we will go through a process of this. It's a renewing that is going on all of the time. See, this picture is becoming like God, like we were created to be. Genesis chapter 1, God created male and female in his image to bear his likeness, to, to think the way that he does, to see the world the way that he does. Well, this is the promise. We are created to be like God, and that is the new self that is being put on. That's the renewing that's happening. When it talks about righteousness, we know that that comes to us from Jesus. We are made right in his eyes. So we need to live consistently with that. When it says 
in holiness. That means that we're now people set apart in this world, in this world that is still marked by futility of thinking and darkness and all that kind of stuff, but we are set apart. We are being created into holiness. And when we get to the last part of this passage, oh, there's that, there's that verse. There we go. When we get to the last part of this passage, what Paul starts to do is just spell out some of these transformations. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. Pretty much any time you see a list in the New Testament, very rarely is it everything that you could pick out, everything that you could say. Okay? But in here, he goes through some really helpful things. I've just kind of summarized them by verse. I'm just going to spell them out to you. But as I do this, I want you to think about, as, as examples of the old pattern of life and the new pattern of life, which of these ones actually confront you? As you hear these again, which of these are actually areas in your life that you need to do some taking off and do some putting on? Verse 25 talks about speaking lies. Take that off and put on truth speaking. Verse 26 talks about unrighteous anger, but putting on right anger, that is, to be angry about the things that would make God angry. That is, the things that are, that are sinful, that are futile in their thinking. Verse 28 talks about someone that would steal. Putting that off and instead putting on hard work or generosity. Those both, both ideas are in there. Verse 29 talks about taking off unwholesome talk and instead putting on words that build up. Verse 30 and 31 talk about kind of lumped together, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander. And in place of those, putting on kindness, putting on compassion, and putting on forgiveness. Which of these areas actually hits you the most? Can you see these patterns in your own life? And can you see the futility of them? See how it actually catches up with you when you go on living that way. How long can you actually maintain a lie for? It finds you out. How long can you be a person full of rage and maintain relationships with people? Or maintain bitterness and not just be driven into, I don't know, being bitter? <laughs> You can't do it. It's futile. It's futile ways of living and thinking. Can you see the darkness of these patterns? Dark in that they cause more evil. They create a web of, of lies or a web of lack of trust or a web where, like, where there's no safety. There is no suggesting in this passage, there is no suggesting to just try a little bit harder it's insisted on in the Lord that we would no longer live this way. Whatever you see in here that is true for you, this passage says change. Put it off and put on. How do we change? 
This is where we come back to verse 30. Listen to what he says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And before I address what this says, the reason that this verse talks about God's Spirit is because we've already learned that that is the power to bring about change. None of us, by our own effort, can become one micro little bit any more like God. But by the Spirit, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, working inside of us, having given us a new heart, it can actually cause us to change. In fact, he is there for that purpose, to bring about change in our lives. So, what Ephesians already says is that God's Spirit is there as a seal, and that's what it tells us. Our salvation is certain. We start this journey of transformation with no doubt that we are God's children, with no doubt that we are already seen as righteous and holy in his eyes by his grace. That's where we start. But we also remember that that power is there, the power that comes from knowing him is there to change. And in fact, if God's spirit is in us, and that is God in us, and God himself is righteous, then of course, wouldn't it, isn't that the right word to say? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not bring, bring grief into God on, on God's heart and God's spirit by being this stubborn, resistant child of his. God's spirit is in us. We should procrastinate never, never put off. Paul insists on it in the Lord. Live this way now. No longer live that way. Indulge in that sensuality no longer. Fear no longer. Now just to finish this up, I just want to think about one idea. If you look at your own life and, and you see slow change, slow change in your life, then don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. If you look at your life and you see no change in your life, then do you know Jesus? Do you act, have you actually come before Jesus and said, I need you, Jesus my Saviour, to take away my sin? If you... If you see absolutely no change in your life for, for however many weeks, months, or years of, of being a Christian, if you've never experienced that change in your life, then have you really ever come before him and received his grace? But if you see slow change, do not be discouraged. See, slow change might have been the situation for the Ephesians. Slow change, in a slow transformation, a slow putting on and off, shouldn't discourage us. It shouldn't discourage us. But we shouldn't be satisfied with it either. Okay? Marinate yourself in the truth of the gospel. Marinate yourself in the grace that's been shown to you, in the love that is shown to us. 
that prayer that we would have not just a knowledge of God, but a heart knowledge, that we would know him in our heart, that we would know the seal of his spirit, the love that he has for us. That we would know that grace that we would actually see change and transformation that way. See, the thing that brings change in our life is the power of the Spirit, but the thing that we depend on is God's grace because we don't always get it right. In fact, one of my favourite passages to just keep reminding myself of at the moment is in Titus. And I'm going to finish on this. Listen to what Titus says about the grace of God and the power of it. For the grace of God has appeared... This is chapter 2, verse 11, if you want to look it up again later. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So the great comfort that we can have when we hear, put this off, put it on, put this off, put it on, put this off, put it on, This is being spoken to us by the God who has already shown us the grace to guarantee that we're already his children, his forgiven people who will endure with him forever. And this call isn't to to do something more, to give ourselves any kind of guarantee that we're actually saved. This is an invitation into the freedom of living out these truths that he's already made true in each of our lives. Let's pray to that end. Loving Father, your grace, Lord, is bigger than we can understand, but Lord, your grace means that we can live confidently. So Lord, I pray that you would teach us more and more to live confidently. Lord, to heed those words, No longer live as the Gentiles do. Lord, please bring about that transformation in our own lives. Lord, please bring it about to protect us from from the consequence of it, to bring us out of the damage that it will do to people around us. But Lord, to bring us out of it that we might come more closely to you, that we might grow in our, in our relationship with you, Lord, and that we might be more and more filled and fulfilled by that. Lord, we pray this for, for the sake of our own lives, for the sake of the people around us, and for the sake of the world that watches in on us. Lord, that they might see us, and that they might see you through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.